Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It used to be hard to find the exact auto parts you needed. And that meant spending a lot of time at swap meets. It's a different game now when you can order exactly what you need from eBay Motors. They have 122 million parts, so you can always find the right fitment. Spend less time searching and more time building with the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Before we do get started this week, just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you by our partners over at FansBet. Remember, FansBet are committed to sharing 50% of their net profit with fans around the country, helping out with fan initiatives and causes. To see more from them, do head over to the website, fansbet.com, or over to their Twitter page, which is at FansBet. Here's your podcast. It's the weekly on Radio City Talk, the Blue Room and Everton are back on Saturday. I'm not entirely sure how happy everybody is about that. Uh, Paul McPartland's in the studio. Are you happy, Paul? Of course, I'm happy. We're always happy to see Everson, Matt. Who wouldn't be? <laughs> Mark Rosie's in the studio as well. Are you happy, Mark? Not necessarily with the early start. Um, I hadn't quite realised this until until earlier this week. And, uh, I've spent the vast majority of the day desperately struggling to get Saturday off work, and only time will tell whether that was a good decision or not. Is it one of them where it's so bad that you wouldn't mind working instead? Uh, I mean... I don't really like the general public <laughs> slight, slightly less than I like Everton, so I would I would marginally prefer to go the game. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about that game a little bit more later on uh, in the show as well. Uh, obviously a massive one for these players and Marco Silva as well. Um, but we're going to talk about the international break to begin with. Uh, we'll chat about Michael Keane and Jordan Pickford in a bit more detail in part two of the show. Uh, but it'd be remiss, I think, lads, not to talk about what happened in Sofia <laughs> on Monday night when England played Bulgaria. Um, and... I think for me, Mark, just watching it on the television, I think we've all heard things from from these sorts of games mm. before. You know, you think back to the game against Montenegro in March where there was clear monkey chatting, but I think this felt like a, a novel level in regards to how galling and how shocking it was to actually see. And when you see those pictures from ITV at half-time where there are men in the stands brazenly mm. doing fascist salutes, it just left... I think everybody sick to the stomach, and I know it was, it was shameful scenes. And I suppose the question is: Do you think anything's going to change in regards to this now? Do you think you're finally going to pull the finger out or not? Uh, well, no. I think t- to go back a couple of steps there, I think the the visual element that we were subjected to last night was probably a little bit more powerful than obviously, as you say, we we've heard chants like this before. But I think fair credit to was it ITV who were the broadcaster yeah, who. I think you historically would have got a number of broadcasters who would have kind of shied away from showing those type of images and debatably rightly so but I think it's important now at a time where we all like to think that football is on the cusp of of eradicating racism Um, not that recent actions have, have supported that idea but I think it's important to see just how sort of old-fashioned and regressive that some of some of these football fans in in, in particular nations are um i think the most disappointing element for me i was i was on the way home in the car just just probably coming in to catch the the second half 
And when I heard that we were in sort of like stage two of UEFA's new protocol of, of dealing with this, and the fact that some of England's black players have been subjected to, to booze and whatnot, I wasn't really surprised. Mm. Um, it, it's just something that not only the England English national side, but obviously with recent happenings in Syria and 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 recent uh, all manner of leagues across across Europe and across the world. And I think it's just so disappointing that. I mean, when when we were we were babies and hadn't even started watching football before, Matt, that this was a this was an issue that we like to think as a nation that we were dealing with. Mm. Um, and I, I'm I'm not saying that this is not a problem in English football. It clearly is, and we do, we do hear of isolated cases, but I think it's just so tiring that we have to talk about this as an issue in football. Um, but we, we absolutely we absolutely have to. Um, I think. On a positive note, I think the England players and and coaching staff and managers and and for the vast time that the Bulgarian players also we saw the captain go over to the fans mm. at half time and and try to deal with this in as as diplomatic a way as he could. Um, I think the English players did exactly what I would want my team to do. Um, any football team who was subject to that sort of treatment is just go out and whack them all over the pitch, and I think that that's all you can do really. Um, but the the concern going forward here is that um, to answer your question, no, I can't really see anything changing. Um, the reason behind that is that UEFA and numerous leagues around Europe have set a precedent now whereby severe sanctions and punishments are not handed out for mm. for incidents such as this. You don't have to go back too far, and I know I've mentioned Syria and, and Cagliari and the problems that they've had in, in recent seasons, uh, most recently with Romelu Lukaku. I think now we are dangerously close to the point where you can't punish teams or nations too much mm. because the precedent has been set whereby minimal fines are acceptable. Um, at, at what point do we make that jump from minimal fines to tournament bans and point mm. sanctions and all of the all of the punishments that we now see as fitting, what then stops a, a previous nation who've been convicted of similar crimes and um, teams such as Calgary saying, well, the, the punishment doesn't quite yeah. fit. And I think obviously a, a, a sort of a big leap has to be made and a big statement has to be, be given against one of these clubs or nations. But I'm, I'm very rarely convinced that there's anyone in UEFA who's on the cusp of doing that. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Mark in terms. Of, I'd agree with Mark in terms of the uh, ITV coverage. I thought, you know, in previous years that might have been shied away from, and it uh, wouldn't mm. have been talked about at half time. So, you know, I think uh, ITV deserved you no know, praise for the way they dealt with it and made and made such an issue of it as well. Um, it was it was quite emotional listening to Ian Rice saying that, that making yeah, the points has gone great, on, yeah. and on. I mean, and and you know. Uh, the panel was was three 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 white males, one black male. So it, it was good to have Ian right there giving his opinion about it as well. Um, but yeah, uh, I actually deserve every credit for the way they, they dealt with you know, that situation yesterday. And the scenes were just absolutely appalling. I mean, mm. as someone who grew up and watched football in the seventies and eighties when racism was endemic in our game, to still see that going on forty years later in an international arena, it it, it, it justifies it justifies belief and just makes you wonder where the Western world as a society is going at the moment because mm. racism seems to be seeping more and more in, into different avenues of life, not 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 just the sporting arena. Um, the, this UEFA three-stage protocol, I mean, I had no idea UEFA had a three-stage protocol. I, I had not read about this three-stage protocol. Mm. I, I didn't know what the implications were of it. And when they kept referring last night, we're now at stage two. Well, stage two didn't mean a great, a great deal to me. So mm. I think... Like Mark, I have no confidence that UEFA are going to take strong action on this. Uh, I, I think they've got them, they've boxed themselves almost into a corner with the powerless to act because the precedents they've set have left the, have left their room for manoeuvre quite quite restricted and quite limited mm. as well. In my opinion, one thing I didn't understand about last night was Bulgaria. The punishment for racist chanting in the last home game was to reduce the capacity by 5,000. In what world is that a punishment? Mm, how, how, mm. The, how is that going to stop people making the comments by reducing the capacity for 5,000? And the other thing that struck me last night was the people who were doing the chanting and, and the racial comments, they were so obviously identifiable. Why were they allowed to continue 
uninterrupted mm. for 45 minutes. Mm. I, I just found that quite, quite depressing. Well, ITV identified them I in know, the, yeah. the game <laughs> to get yeah. them on camera yeah. at half-time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it, it's so it, it, it wasn't hard, was it? Yeah, it, it's, so, it's so obvious where they all were yeah. that the broadcaster was able to go, yeah. let's get some images of what's going on yeah. here at yeah. half-time. Mm. And they had... Well, 10, 15 different people on camera yeah, yeah. at that point, and they had a good five, ten second clips of mm-hmm. each of them. So if they can do it and they yeah. know what's going on, it, it, it seems obvious. And I don't know, Mark, I, I saw a, um, a few tweets from Marvin Sordell, the former England under 21 mm-hmm. international of newspaper Bolton. He's, he's just retired recently. And I think we, we hear words like free step protocol mm-hmm. and, yeah. and UEFA, and we think, you know, this is something very seriously. But he sort of put it like, you, you tell them to stop abusing yeah. uh, black players over the tally Please. system. How, yeah. how pathetic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how, when you actually break it down like that, it, it's yeah. absolutely yeah. pathetic, yeah. isn't it? You know, why Why is this just a, why isn't mm. it just a one strike and you're out sort of thing? It shouldn't be. Don't do it again, lads. Yeah. Don't do it again, lads. Or you've done it, you've done it three times now. The game's, the game's been called mm. off. And I didn't realise as well this protocol it's been in place for 10 years. No, like 10 Mas- years. I, 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 was, I had no idea. That was the point I was going to make. I, I don't know where I, I saw or read it last night, but you would swear that this is something that UEFA have brought in since the, the problems that we've had in Serie A yeah, recently. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's never been something that has been outlined. And I, I, know, I know that it was highlighted and we were very clearly talked through it as it was happening last night on the TV. Uh, I know that UEFA have brought four charges against Bulgaria, um, mm. but it, it's very difficult to see where you pitch the, the punishment for this, I think, because fines for the vast majority of football clubs and nations are irrelevant. Um, stadium closures, looking at the stadium last night, was irrelevant. Um, you, you could very quickly close down an ultra section of, of that particular stadium last night and you just move to the block next year and take one of the we respect racism flags down which Ian Wright rightly pointed out were an absolute travesty while they were up um, and in terms of kicking teams out of tournaments and, and taking away points from group stages at this stage you would say that that is probably the the most appropriate punishment um, that is somewhat negated by the fact that Bulgaria never really get close to international tournaments um, so it, it does sort of take away the the impact of, of a punishment like that but I think at least at this stage you set the precedent for any football team or any nation in the world that your performance on pitch will be punished um, and, and there will rightly be uh, not only players but certainly fans who went to that game who just went as a ordinary football fan and enjoyed it without any of the, the torment that we saw last night who will feel aggrieved by that decision but unfortunately someone has to take the hit in order to prevent happenings like this in the future yeah, yeah. as you say Mark it, it just cannot be allowed to, to go on yeah. uh, you know, without there being some severe consequences and as you say Bulgaria aren't the most successful football nation but you know, it's not the only country where it's happened you know, it has happened in, in Spanish internationals in the past in Italian internationals in the past I mean it's stuff like this has gone on in our country as well yeah I mean we're, no, we're not squeaky clear on this yeah. there was the instance of Hartlepool United three yeah. weeks ago with the Dover Festival player being racially abused so you know we, we have got a problem in this society as well and you, you know you trying to avoid being the smug we do a better than you sort of attitude but quite clearly what's happened in Bulgaria is just on every level totally unacceptable it's quite good as well following some of the comments from people like Stan Collymore who I know is quite opinionated but he was just absolutely outraged and said he'd been asked to come and speak about some breakfast TV the next morning he said yeah great bring on the token black man to speak for 10 minutes mm. and then speak to someone from Georgia Shore and Love Island no I'm not going to do that <laughs> and, and I, I thought that was a really good strong comment to make as well yeah um, I, think, I think the final thing to say on this I mean, we are three white men sat in a, in a room exactly. talk, talking about this. Um, we don't know what it's like to suffer racist abuse. We don't know what it's like to suffer racist abuse on a, a high-profile international stage like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I think, Paul, the one thing we could say about those England players that night, um, people like Tyrone Mings in particular making his debut, they obviously made the decision as, the, as a team to stay out there and they all acquitted themselves fantastically well. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. I mean, Tyro Mings in particular, when I was showing the clips, I think shouting over to the, the system referee, can you hear that? Can you hear that? Yeah, he, he wanted did, yeah. something done straight away. Mm. And in the past, certainly the 70s and 80s, black players playing for England wouldn't have done that. So uh, th- that was a, 
it was almost a captain's-like performance from Tyrone Mings, but the unity of the side really impressed me yesterday. And, you know, uh, Gareth Southgate, you know, you know, he calmly made a thing about it. He was speaking to the officials. He wanted some action taken. He was supporting his players. So that, that was very encouraging to see as well. But I think, uh, as an England side, it was good to see that they were all sticking together. And it was also, I mean, England's fans don't have the best reputation sometimes, but I thought they really got behind the team last night to try and counteract the racist chants that were being made by the Bulgarian fans. Yeah, I think spot on. Everyone, everyone regarding that that England setup from manager down to fans was exemplary. Um, yeah. Gareth Southgate just every time he he talks about this national side, and albeit I'm not I'm not the biggest fan, and I wouldn't ordinarily catch a lot of games, but. It, it does make you feel so assured that when clubs are sending their young players off to really difficult atmospheres yeah. and really <laughs> difficult games that they are not only well looked after by everyone there but also brought on not only as footballers but also as human beings as well. Yeah. He is someone that you want in charge of a promising young international side. Uh, I think the fans are absolutely spot on. Um, they, they very often get a negative press but they responded to um, obviously each stage of the protocol and obviously the, the noises they were hearing, um, the goals going in, everything about their attitude was absolutely yeah, yeah. spot on. Yeah. Um, and but I, in that regard, you've got to hope that's a catalyst yes, for the yeah. English supporters because, you know, yeah. like we've said in the past, they themselves have been involved yeah. in, in, you know, similar incidents where you say mm. there's been racist undertones to things that have been said. Yeah. And as, as far as the players goes, I think it's a really difficult one because. I think the the moment where a big international side like England do take their players off the pitch, that that instantly creates a lot of conversation. It raises a massive issue around this subject. Um, but I would always like to see the team again. I reiterate what you've said in that we've never been on the receiving end of this this style of abuse. But I would always like to think that in that situation, we're able to see people like. Tyrone Mings like Raheem Stale and Rashford whoever it may be rise above and do what they are really good at uh, and that is punishing people with the ball at the feet and I think they were they were just exemplary last night yeah just just on Southgate as well one of the things which was I think you said which is really good but also really sad was that a lot of these players have been hardened by the abuse they've yeah, received yeah. In, in their own countries to so this this kind of thing in the yeah. past and, and when you're getting in a situation where you're saying you know, they're sort of used to it. It, it is very disappointing. Um, just another note, which is sort of gathering a, a bit of a bit of momentum in regards to Evertonians talking about it from the international break. Uh, European football's governing body, UEFA, is investigating a military salute given by some Turkey footballers after Cheng Tosin scored against Albania last week. Uh, did it on Friday. Um, obviously, this is in relation to the Turkish army and their clashes with Kurdish fighters in, in northern Syria at the moment. Um, it feels like a topic that's going to be discussed more and more. There's been no official word from the, the club yet as we sit here and record this on Tuesday. Um, do you think this is the sort of thing you Everton should be acting on, Paul, or not? I think I, I'm not 100% certain it's the type of... Um event that Everton should be taking action on. I know St. Pauli in Germany took action against one of their players. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're a different type of club for Everton. Uh, I'm not saying what the action they took was, was, was wrong or incorrect. In terms of toast, I'd just like a bit more background on this. I'm just a bit reluctant to condemn somebody on the basis of a tweet. I just think you know it needs a bit more investigating. What was the purpose? Uh, no, what was the motivation? Uh, have they regressed it since? And just a bit more background before rushing to a decision. But... I think it's it's something that happened when he wasn't playing for Everson, so therefore I don't think Everson needs to be directly involved. I think it's a matter not to have any confidence in UEFA dealing with this, but based on what we talked about before mm. with, with the racism. And maybe we might find out that UEFA have a three-stage protocol for making salutes in football matches, I really don't know. But um, I think there's, you know, let UEFA deal with it. Let, it you know, let them take the appropriate action. And obviously, you know, Everson as a club should support that. I think as, as much as this is something that we need a little bit more context and background about. Mm. I, th- I th- don't think you can argue that the motivation is <clears throat> culturally sensitive and political. Um, mm-hmm. And as soon as you start mentioning those sort of adjectives regarding actions of, of one of your players, which, albeit with a Turkish international shirt on he is still an ambassador of this club um, as much as we haven't seen a great deal of him on the pitch <laughs> he still carries the name of Everton in every single kick of a ball or action that he takes on a pitch um, I, I agree in that I don't really see it as a massive place for Everton to to go out and lead the way in terms of sanctions um, if, it, if it's something down the line we've obviously seen it with St Pauli who are 
clearly a, a massive socialist club and probably the the calls for action are probably a lot greater from from everyone involved in that club than they are with Everton but we are still a, a club who goes around spotting ourselves as the people's club and someone who wouldn't necessarily like to be involved in anything like this um, in terms of not taking action as much as I include negative sanctions in that I also think that someone could be a little bit less finger happy on the on the like button on Instagram. I yeah, think absolutely. That, that yeah, was yeah, that was yeah. really not a good look. Yeah. Um as much as at the time we we are not instantly aware potentially of what the impact of that, that has. Um just being a little bit more delayed in our response to anything that, that the players put on and I, I look there's there's absolutely no one to hand from someone leading Everton's social media account <laughs> here but it's it's just something that we need to be a little bit more careful about um but I think generally speaking we need our players just to be a little bit more again I hesitate to use the word sensitive because it's not an issue that we are directly involved in but unfortunately as professional sports people you have to be aware of the the impact that everything you do on that pitch has mm-hmm. um and it's clearly going to have an impact for everton in the in the coming days yeah uh, just very quickly the, the reason that uefa are investigating this is simply they don't allow political gestures and the salutes were done after the game against albania on friday and they were done after the game against france on monday night as well and an instagram post as well from the turkish national team so uh, that's something i imagine which is going to run and run up over the next few weeks or so uh, we are at the time in part one after the break we'll have a chat about Michael Keane who lost his place in that England side on Monday night Jordan Pickford and then it'll be all looking ahead to West Ham we break back on Radio City Talk back on Radio City Talk it's part two of the Blue Room Paul and Mark still in the studio uh, like we said we're going to talk about Michael Keane now um, saw bits of the game on Friday night Mark when England mm-hmm. lost to the, the Czech Republic um, obviously Keane got a bit of flack for his display um, was dropped from the side for Tyrone Mings on Monday night and obviously Tyrone Mings played very well so it sort of feels like it's going to be a bit of a long way back for Michael Keane now uh, but somebody who's, who's probably gone under the radar a little bit in terms of who we've talked about this season mm. um, and it'd probably, it'd probably be fair to say he's had a disappointing start to the campaign and has regressed a little bit from the player that he became last season Yeah, I'll join seven of the national newspapers in saying it was a reality check after Friday <laughs> night how, how they all managed to, to not have a brief chat with each other and not use the same headline was, was quite hilarious actually w- Wasn't the one that didn't actually spell it C-Z-E-C-H That is the media version of an open goal surely just being able to use that headline but yeah it's it was a disappointing performance on the back of what has been a really lacklustre start for him. Um, we, we've spoken so much on the Blue Room about how he forged such a great partnership with Zuma. Um, the fact that they had complementary styles obviously led to not only him benefiting personally, but also the team at the back end of last season. Um, clearly, that, that that chemistry is not quite there with Yeri Mina. Um, and he, he strikes me as someone who would struggle to find that level of chemistry on a brief international stint. Mm. Um, he's someone who relies on consistency around him, not only in his centre-half partnership, but I think he also obviously flourished with Idrissa Gay in front of him at the back end of last season. Um, and everything I've seen of him this season, we all know that he relies on confidence and momentum to to get the best out of him, and, and to an extent what footballer doesn't. But you do look back at last season and think, well, even in the games where he excelled and Everton excelled defensively, how often was it solely down to his individual outstanding performance? Mm. And I, I, I don't, I know that's very easy to say now in hindsight because he's in a, a rough patch of form. But he, he strikes me as someone who's always going to be very up and down in this limbo of, of are we going to see a great Michael Keane for four or five months, mm. and then are we going to regress into, you know? the keen that we all saw in, in Marco Silva's first pre-season and we thought what on earth have we bought here mm. um, so it's it, I mean if you're going to describe a footballer like that it's something that you tolerate from a winger or a striker and you think you know, you know what you're going to get a few bad games Everton and in particular that centre-half position of any football team we are not in a position where we can afford to, mm. to carry our main centre-half and someone who's a prospective captain of the club through really difficult spells and that is exactly what we're in at the moment um we are we are very fortunate to an extent at the moment in that Yerry Mina is starting to find his feet um 
as much as he may develop himself personally, I, I still don't think that the the level of understanding and the the attributes are never really going to match up between them. Um, for as well as they play together and as much as they will occasionally keep clean sheets and deal well with the ball aerially, there will always be the thing in the back of your head where you think, well, as soon as a team hit us on the break with pace, try and play the ball between the lines, we are going to be in trouble. Um, and unfortunately, we have been found out a few times this season already. Um, so it's a really important time for him. Um, I, it, It's a question of strength of character now. Are, are you capable of defying what everyone says about you in the media, what your fans say about you, what your manager may potentially yep. be saying about you, and, and turn that around? And as much as we don't know the lad, there is something about the way he plays and the way he looks and the feeling that you get from him from the stands where... The the strength of character isn't quite there to to defy these negative moments, and I do worry for him. And and as much as a we we all want to see him do really well, and we clearly saw that at the back end of last season. I do think that the the unity of the team and the fact that we defended from the front last year, mm. and this this applies to Pickford to an extent as well. In in that we didn't really considering some of the teams that we played and and some of the players that, that the undoubted talent that these these big six teams have, we were very rarely rarely put under a great level of stress at the yeah. back. Um, and as, as, as I say, as much as we don't want to take that away from any of the defenders or the team as a whole, it does make you question whether we, we went a bit all in on him too soon. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I felt quite sorry for Michael Keane for the England experience. Um, in my view, he was certainly no worse than Harry Maguire. Oh, no, I agree. In, yeah. in both games. And Harry Maguire seemed to get away scot-free with his performance. And even last night, you saw when we were 4-5-0 up, mm-hmm. Maguire got involved in a contretemps with a Bulgarian player when there was absolutely no need to do that. So I think Keane suffered quite unjustly. And I think, you know, I think there's elements of the me- of the media that don't like Michael Keane and adore Harry Maguire. And you know, in my view, Keane was quite an easy scapegoat for the media after the game on the on Friday against the Czech Republic. From Everson's perspective, I agree with what Mark's saying. Keane has never struck me as the most confident of players. He's a player who, if he, if he gets a few good games under his belt, will improve and, and, and will perform at a high level. But I think this season, uh, he's obviously missed the partnership with Kurt Zuma. Yeah, as Mark said, but also I think this season, Everton defensively, Coleman and Dina in particular have been so poor at covering and mm. getting back that quite often Keane is being almost the last line of defence by himself and having to deal with breakaways, counter-attacks, which aren't particularly his strong points either. He's not getting the cover in front of him like he did last season, as you mentioned, Mark, mm. in, in terms of Idrissa Gay. And I think... <coughs> The partnership with Mina has taken shape, but it's not as good as the partnership with Zuma. I'd even say it's not as good as what the partnership with Jagielka was at, at times last season. It also, be, I also question what's going on on the training ground with with Michael Keane in particular. Uh, the, the coaching aspect of it, what are they working on? I know there's concerns with Lewis Bowen-Morsey having taken on from uh, taken on from Susa during the summer. Has that impacted on Keane the training? So. I do have a few concerns. I, I do worry uh, with this game at the weekend what he's going to be like up against Haller, who's on a good good yeah. run of scoring at the moment. Uh, I hope he comes. Th- I hope he comes through this patch. But I think either way, in January, we, we need to be bringing in another centre half. Yeah, I think I think the, the point about his character is really interesting. And you know, we're, we're all sort of sitting here and we're judging Michael Keane's character based solely on what we yeah. see on the, on the pitch, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. And you know, that that is that is all we can do <laughs> in that regard, isn't it? But I think you're both right in regards to I think he gets characterised as this sort of, you know, player who's going to, you know, get high up and win headers mm-hmm. and, you know, beat his man to the ball yeah. and be aggressive and be, uh, be tenacious. Mm-hmm. But he's not really, he's never really been that type of defender. No. defender. He's not he's not an aggressive defender. He sort of, when he wins his headers, it's like he just sort of gets on his tiptoes and, mm-hmm. and you know, leans over the top and, and wins the ball. And, I think he's, uh, he's not even a goal scorer in the offender, is no, he? I no, no. Mean, you, you watch him a few times when he, when he finds space in the opposition penalty area, and you know when he heads it, it's going to go over the bar. Yeah. You can always predict it before, you know, before the move is finished. Yeah, and I, but but I think I think we will learn about his character over the next few months because mm. I think that first season you, you can you can almost write it off for him because he had that yeah. terrible injury. Of course, he was in. He coming into a side that was all over the place. It was different managers, different systems. Well, he's played on the four managers, hasn't he? Yeah. This time at Everton, which can't help either mm-hmm. from his yeah. point of view. There was a lot of moving parts there for him. Last season, came in and, and did well. But I, th- I think, like Mark said, as a whole, the, the way in which the whole team defended and mm-hmm. having the parts of Garner and Zuma really yeah, helped yeah. the side. 
But I think now if you look at it, and you know, I'm not pinning this all on Michael Keane by any means, but the situation we're in going into that West Ham game, like you said there, Paul, four defeats in a row, five out of six, manager under pressure, and he is going to play. He's going yeah, to play. That's, that's one of the yeah, he's he's going to play throughout this point because I think Marco Silva probably not entirely sure about Mason Holgate, Lewis Gibson's you know well down the pecking yeah, order. Yeah. Gabaman, the other potential centre back, is is you know mm. is, is injured. He's, he, fish, he's yeah. going to play. He's, he's going to have to play through this spell of games where Everton have been you know potentially torrid. He's going to have to adapt his games. Going to have to mm-hmm. become a bit of a leader. And I think with that in mind, this is where we will maybe actually for the first time be able to take a proper look at Michael Keane's character and say. Can he stand up and be counted? Can he become a leader of this back four? Can mm. he can he be smarter and adapt his game in situations where he needs to? And I think that that's going to be a really interesting one for him. Um, and, and you look at the game at the weekend and potentially coming off the back of a, a poor England performance on Friday when he was dropped on Monday. A lad who's got fragile confidence. Mm. How's he going to be feeling going into that? Against a team who've got a lot to prove after a disappointing result at home. Um, and as Paul said, a, a striker who is in a lot better form than, than a lot of our strikers at the moment. Um, yeah, it's be, an, wouldn't be too hard. Well, true, yeah. <laughs> It's an important point you make about Holgate and, and the lack of depth in that position. Um, as much as I'm sure he's not someone and as a professional footballer who takes anything for granted, there is the, the lack of that competitive edge that having Yeri Mina in the background last season will have undoubtedly provided. Um, we have, to an extent, sold him down the river in terms of getting rid of Adjessa Gay and not necessarily not replacing him, but as a football club, just not adapting to that change. Um, we have invited so much pressure on ourselves, most notably down the middle. Um, and you're right in terms of his style of, of centre-half in that it, it's very hard to categorise him into into any real niche that you'd imagine a centre-half to fall into. I'm struggling to, to pinpoint one of the great Premier League centre-halves and say that Michael Keane is very much akin to, to their style. Um, he is someone who has undoubtedly found success along the years, but it's always been part of a system, part of a bigger mm. picture, be that at Everton or Burnley. I mean, um, I say, Mark, at Burnley, he was well organised by Sean Dyche. He knew exactly what to do. Yeah. David Mead did all mm. the covering for him. And yeah, I agree. I think he he needs a strong partner, an experienced partner. Yeri Mina might well end up being that partner. We don't mm. know yet. But at the moment, he, he's definitely missed Jaggy Elka. He, even on the training ground, he must be missing Jaggy Elka, you know, giving him the one-to-one, talking through how yeah. he played the game mm. before. And, and you mentioned before about the confidence factor you know, with Michael Keane. Surely that is the manager's job to make sure that when he goes out there mm. on Saturday, his confidence is mm. built up. I think you're asking so much of Mina to do that sort yeah, of role, yeah, though. Yeah, um, yeah. But no one expected Michael Keane to come in in his first full season and lead the defence and, and nope. effectively do the job and, and do the work and do the talking of someone next to him. And it does, for a lot of the time, feel that Yerry Mina is doing that. Um, for a lad who I assume his English is not... not Totally off the scratch. It, we're, we're expecting him to well, to do Michael it. Keane's work yeah. for him to an extent. Um, so I think it, it's slightly unfair to put that on Mina as, as well as he's done in recent weeks. Um, but you're both right in terms of the next few months for Michael Keane and that we are going to learn a lot about him. And probably by January, we're going to know where his future is with regards to playing for Everton. Um, obviously, Jordan Pickup was in action twice as well. Not really much to do against Bulgaria. One nice pass, which I think set up England's fifth or sixth uh, goal count. on yeah. the night. Yeah, <laughs> um, But against uh, Czech Republic, got a bit of stick, Paul, for staying on his line for, for that first goal. Um and just just another one of those moments where you, you sort of go, can he do a little bit better there? And there's been there's, there's been a few of them recently, hasn't there, for club and country for him? Yeah, I don't think he's had his best season. And I think Pickford, like Keane, has been uh, not helped by the uncertainty with Everson's defensive formation and the lack of cover from just a game in particular. Uh, I think with Pickford, we've always felt as, as a shot stopper, he's good. But sometimes his judgment can be called into question. He can sometimes run out when he doesn't need to I think uh, one of the recent home games he went went charging towards the touchline when he didn't need to to get involved in a particular move Uh, but I still think compared to all the goalkeepers in the Premier League I'd rather Pickford in our goal than some people like like Kepa Mm. from from Chelsea Mm. Uh, because I I think his overall level of consistency over the season he'll win us more points than he loses us but I think the club generally is just suffering from kind of the um, 
lack of def- defensive organisation, particularly from set pieces. And maybe set pieces, Pickford needs to take a bit more responsibility in terms of you know, telling defenders where he wants mm. and being the ones to come claim the ball first, rather than letting his defenders deal with it for him. Mm. I think from, as, as you rightly said, from the shot-stopping element, which he's he's always he's excelled a, he's at. He's always excelled at. Yeah. The, the, the Mahrez goal was probably the one that, that worried me more, so, yeah, yeah. because I thought, you know yeah. what, that is something that I imagine him getting incredibly frustrated about. Yeah. Um, th- th- there is a... There's an element of kind of flamboyance about the way that he positioned himself, and you're right. We're always going to see him charging out towards the sideline and trying to clear a left-footed curl yeah. past 80 yards <laughs> yeah. up the sideline. That is the nature of his character. Um, to an extent, you don't really want to see that no. diluted away from him. We we want to see him have that sort of brashness about his about his personality on the pitch. Um, I, I feel like he's just someone who is intensely scrutinised. Um, yeah, possibly yeah. too much so I'd agree um, yeah I, I think if, if you play for one of the media darlings so Man United or Tottenham or Chelsea he wouldn't be getting the same level of scrutiny you'd have less uh, to do uh, yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe not at United yeah, yeah. yeah true yeah um, but I, th- I think he is someone who is just consistently overanalyzed from a footballing yeah, perspective because yeah. of his personality yeah. I think if he was quite a quiet lad I don't think anyone would really yeah. say much about half of his errors yeah. um, so it is something that I mean if there's one person who is not bothered about this level of scrutiny it is Jordan Pickford we've seen countless times again regardless of the scale of his error or supposed error he is someone who is capable of carrying himself both on and off the pitch Um, so he, he strikes me as someone who learns very quickly from mistakes he's a Premier League goalkeeper who plays on the, the, the highest stage against some of the best players in the world people are going to make him look a bit daft at times um, and there are going to be situations in, in debatably big games like Friday was that it, the, the scrutiny is so big that we overanalyze every single inch or foot or yard yeah. more that he could have come out of his goal. Yeah. Um, from an Everton perspective, as much as we will be disappointed with isolated instances this year, I don't think he's been really a, no. a, any degree of fault for no, for the way that the season has materialised. And if you told me right now that he was going to be at Everton for, for a decade to come, <laughs> I'd be absolutely delighted with it. Well, yeah. uh, I would as well, Mark. And I, I think as well, we cannot underestimate how young Pickford still is because mm. he's, he's played at, you know, at the Premier League for five, six seasons now. Yeah. He's still a goalkeeper who's learning his trade. You know, in, in my view, he, he's 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 only going to get better. And uh, as I said, the moment. The, I can't think of any of the Premier League goalkeeper I'd be placed. I mean, look at Hugo Lloris for Tottenham, you know, World Cup winning captain. He He's had a nightmare mm. of a season. So, you know, compared to that, you know, Pickford's doing, doing you know, he's making good progress so far. Yeah, uh, fingers crossed. It uh, doesn't have anything to do with the weekend. <laughs> anyway, yeah. in that regard, uh, we will talk about that game against West Ham, Goodison Park, 12.30 kickoff after the break here on Radio City Talk. We will be back with your podcast again very shortly. But first, we've got a message about a new app that is changing the culture of gambling by making it social. Who Knows Wins is not a bookmaker's, they are the home of social betting. Once you are set up on their app, you can bet against friends and colleagues on a simple-to-use platform on all different types of sports. It's a great way to rake in the cash from your friends and have a bit of light-hearted chat and stick along the way in the designated conversation section. There are no odds, no bookmakers. This is all about the prediction on the sport and events you pick. The more you know, the more you win. You just set up a league, set an entry fee, choose your matches, invite all your mates in, and you all predict the outcomes of those games or the events. And at the end of it, the person with the most correct predictions wins the pot of money. You can also join preset public leagues with larger pots of money competing against players from across the UK. Here at the Blue Room, we've already set up our league for the weekend matches that, of course, include Everton going to Turf Moor. We've got Brighton versus Tottenham, Liverpool against Leicester and all the top flight games from Saturday. Download the app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. The link to our specific league will be on Twitter and on the website for this show. Just a reminder, it's Who Knows Wins. Download the app on the Apple App or Google Play. And for more information, visit their website at www.whoknowswins.com. This is the final part of the Blue Room here on Radio City Talk. Mark and Paul are in the studio. We're going to talk about the West Ham game uh, very shortly. But um, good news for, for Moyes Keane today. Uh, Paul, um, he's been nominated for the prestigious 
Golden Boy Award. Uh, anyone who's not aware of this, essentially, it's a 20-man shortlist of the best young players under 21 in world football. Uh, previous winners include people like Lionel Messi, Kylian Mbappe, Wayne Rooney. So, very prestigious indeed. Uh, just a bit of a reminder, I suppose, of, of what a, an exciting talent we've got on our books and how well-received he is a, a, across European football. Um, what would you do with him now? Now we're back from international duty and there's this crucial spell of games coming up. Do you, do you get him straight in the side or do you stick with Dominic Carvalhoon who's been doing pretty well in recent weeks? Yeah, I think that's really difficult one, Matt. Um, from, from my perspective, uh, I, I quite like the way Dominic Carvalhoon fits into for the formation. He, he He's an outlet for the midfield and, and, and for the wing-backs going forward all the time. He holds the ball up well. He brings other players in. Uh, w- whether there's a space in the side for both of them to play together. I mean, I, I'm kind of looking at, at Gilfie Sigerson at the moment. I think the goals are just dried up with Gilfie. Mm. So I'm not quite sure he actually justifies his place in the side based on his performances. And whether you know, we, we, we could consider a, a departure from Silva's normal formation and maybe have Moise Ken playing alongside Dominic Calvert-Lew. It, mm. it m- might be something worth considering. In, in terms of Moise Keane himself, I mean... You know, He's such a young lad. You know, he, he only played about nine games in Serie A last season, mm. so he's not hugely experienced at this top level. He's obviously a massively talented player. I think my view at the moment would be to to use him as a substitute, but to bring him on with, with about 30 minutes or, or 35 minutes of a game to go, rather than throwing him on the last 10, 15 minutes when mm. we have a goal or two behind, and he's running around frantically trying to get the side, you know, trying, trying to score a goal for the team. So... Uh, I think, hopefully, but I believe that by the end of the season we will, we will see the best of him, and he will be more fully integrated into the side. And uh, that list of winners you mentioned previously, there, you know, uh, uh, Lionel Messi, etc. You know, mm. you know it, it, if he's getting ranked already at this age, at that sort of level, then the, the, the guy's got massive, massive talents, and we should be doing our best to try and use that. Only three Evertonians could sit around and talk about a Golden Boy-nominated striker and say, what do we do with him? (laughs) (laughs) The answer is quite simply, get him on the pitch. Um, And I mean, I've never been a massive fan of Carver-Lewin as much as you appreciate the the things that he is good at. And clearly he has fitted the the team and the system at times in, in recent spells. But... I just think that Moise Keane is what we all hope to be the future of Everton as an attacking force. Mm. Um, and that's not to totally write Carvalhoen off because I know he's not advanced in, in years as much as I think he's probably quite advanced in terms of opportunity. Um, but Moise Keane is someone who we, we, consistently and again today gets talked about as being one of the, the biggest European slash world talents in the sport. Um, and we are kind of chunnering over what we do with this lad. And you almost get the, the feeling of, of everything that's happened. And as much as I know that he's only played a handful of games in Serie A, but it doesn't necessarily instill you with confidence that there was a plan when he when he first yeah. came in. Yeah. Um, we've, we've seen him go out on the wing at Juventus and cutting in from the left-hand side, but I think that was a, a little bit of a dangerous ploy by Silver against Man City to stick him out on the right hand side to, to be fair I think he looked lively um, mm. I, I think putting any of our strikers up top on their own against City was was a massive baptism of fire but I, I want to see him leading the line centrally um, if you went back about 6 or 7 weeks I'd have probably agreed with you Paul and said mm-hmm. that, that two strikers is an option um, I think we are, we are that frail particularly down our spine at the moment that we haven't got the luxury anymore to trial formations and setups that are that attacking. Now, I think if, if someone like Sigurdsson does come out, which I don't think anyone would, would have too many arguments against, you very quickly have to go back to playing a, a more solid three in the middle. And you, you probably do look at a 4-3-3 mm-hmm. as opposed to being a little bit more adventurous. Um, when confidence builds and momentum builds and of course, it's horses for courses in, in a lot of games, but there may be opportunities for us to go to up top. Um, that's probably what Cheng Tosin's holding out for because he's never going to be the one. Mm, yeah. um, but he, he is someone who we need to see more of. People say, oh, we haven't seen a great deal of him. He's 19 and we haven't learned a lot. Well, 
let's do the learning because that's why he left Juventus to come and play for a team like Everton who were going to give him that platform uh, I think the one thing we do need to do with him this week is just throw a big bucket of cold water yeah. over him because he clearly got quite animated in yeah. his uh, yeah. in his under 21 game this week yeah. and getting yeah. sent off but I, I don't blame very the lad harsh. for it it's it was harsh, it was yeah. very harsh but um, I think it was a it was a sign of frustration that I as an Evertonian watched and thought well I kind of get that with him at the moment yeah, I mean, we talked before about you know, the defensive issues with Everton at the moment. And from my perspective, I've been really concerned by our lack of attacking threat this season. Uh, I think when we talked over the summer, Matt, we'd raised a concern about Richarlison and what kind of shape he'd be coming back in from the Copa America. And from you know, from my perspective, he's, he's not come back the same player yeah. he was towards the end of last season. So that's 50% of our goal scoring threat gone from last season. Factor into that, Gilfie Sigerson, who stopped who stopped scoring. Don't he scored in the Premier League this season? As he's just that League no. Cup go go against Lincoln. And he so, missed a penalty for, for Iceland last night. As right, well. yeah, we've done that for us a few times yeah. as well, hasn't he? <laughs> uh, so you, you think our two main goal scorers last season, who, who scored twenty eight uh, Premier League goals between themselves, have, no, they've scored uh, three this season, and we're, we're really struggling there. And going back to what to what Mark was saying. M- 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 I would have no problem if Moisey Keane starts, uh, but I, I just, I always think it's really hard when you're a foreign player trying to adapt to the Premier League. You know how hard it is sometimes if you change job yourself, you get used to the new room, new way of doing things, the the, the, the new ethos of the workplace. He's a coping with that. B, he's coping with the language issue. C, he's coping with being so young. And D, he's in a struggling team. And uh, I. My, my only reservation about Starsky would be that's in my, we t- we talked before about putting putting the pressure on Keane. I'm mm. just you no know, uh, uh, Michael Keane. I'm just a bit concerned we may be putting too much pressure on Mosey Keane for start. But like mm. you said, Mark, maybe there's nothing to lose. We we, we need to score mm. goals. We, we we need some different ideas. And uh, yeah, West Ham's defence isn't the most solid in the Premier League at the moment. And maybe you know his skills mm. may just create a few openings for himself and for the rest of the team. Yeah, um, I think managers when they're in trouble like this go to players they can trust yeah. rather than players who they yeah. think are better. And I think yeah. he, I think he trusts Carvalho. Yeah. He does. Yeah. He trusts him to do certain things in a game yeah. to help the team out. He scored four goals in his last four games, so I think that's for me. That's probably why he will he will ultimately get the nod at the weekend. Um, whether agree with it or not, is an entirely different matter. Um, looking at the side, then uh, back four probably picks itself. Unless, or would you say, is there any chance Mason Holgate starts ahead of Sadibi or not? But, but Como won't be playing, will he? He's no, he's suspended, so, yeah. So I guess Sadibi. Surely Sadibi. It's got to yeah. be Sadibi. I mean, well, yeah, he yeah. was in the, the World Cup in a squad for France, wasn't he? So yeah. you, you think he's got the, the pedigree there to, to do a job in, in the Everton back four. I'd be really interested to see how Sadibi fits into the back four because mm. when I've watched Seamus this season, you know, he's getting caught out of position a bit too often for my liking and his final cross and final ball it, it, it's just not it's just not good mm. enough at the moment I think his distribution is is the main reason yeah. that he does get in and I know that we've only seen it in, in relatively short spells at the moment but really promising against Sheffield Wednesday in terms of his ability to just be a little bit more cultured yeah. on the yeah. ball yeah. than Coleman um, yeah. I think as much as we all appreciate the the effort levels from Sheamus, it, it all seems a little bit forced. Um, it's a bit, fra- bit frantic often, often through it? the middle of opposition players. Yeah, so I think just something a little bit more refined from fullback, like we've got on the other yeah, side, yeah. will will benefit us primarily at home as well. Uh, I think the, the only chance that you even start to bring someone like Mason Hargate into this is if you were obviously considering a, a three at the back in terms of centre halves. Um, or if you were looking to be incredibly defensive on that side, um, yeah. going away to to sort of a, a, a top six side, um, even then, I don't really think he he gets an involvement at the moment because if we're going to go back onto the subject of trust, then there is absolutely none there between Silver and Holgate on the face mm. of it. Yeah, um, I think the biggest questions are the midfield, isn't it? You've, you both mentioned the Gilfie <coughs> Sigurdsson there, um, and, and his role in all this. Um, mm. It feels, I'll come back to you first on this one, Mark. It feels to me as though this is the one where you look at and say, has Silva potentially learned anything from what's happened in the last few weeks? And it's not it's not mm. digging Sigurdsson out because we've been very critical of him over the, over the past few weeks on this show, but he's just not playing well. He's no. not playing well at the moment. And it's not even he's not contributing to general play. In the past, he's not contributed in general play, but put crosses in that we've scored from, mm. put set pieces that we've scored from, or he's, nicked goals himself. Goals, yeah, he? and, and mm. it, at the moment, it, it's simply not working for him. And 
And like you said there, in regards to the defence being a little bit unsure, obviously Andre Gomez is back fit now. Mm. I think a lot of people will be quite heartened going to that ground on Saturday if we saw a little tweak in the system, maybe 4-3-3, three, three, and, and you've got Sigurdsson to bring on off the bench if needed. Yeah, I, th- I think the reason that he can't play is because the formation has to change. Um, I'm a massive fan of Gilfie Sigurdsson at, at his peak. Yeah, um, yeah. Didn't quite realise that he missed another penalty this week, which <laughs> for someone who has, has pulled the ball over everyone's eyes from a set-piece taking ability level, then it, it really is something else from penalties. But I think it's it would be a massive, massive risk for Marco Silva to go and play either him personally or the formation that we shall not speak of again. Um, <laughs> and I think the the only situation, if you are going to change the formation in which Gilfie Sigerson does get onto the pitch, is obviously if you're going to shift him either deeper or out wide. And I think when you start doing that, then you get into very dangerous territory of trying to accommodate players, which we have seen over recent recent seasons with with not Sigurdsson but other players. Um, the, the the deeper role is is one that I've kind of thought about in in recent weeks. If you were going to go to to a flatter three, um, if we were going to change formation, I think that adding that little bit of rigidity down the middle is something that we definitely need um, as much as we see West Ham at home as a, as a potential three points and, and it really should be every single season we need to stop losing football matches yeah. um, and taking someone like Sigurdsson out and, and possibly going a little bit more a bit more streetwise in the middle and bringing someone like a Davis in. Um, clearly with with Gomez and Delph, that, that's the worry and the, the temptation to continue with 4-2-3-1 will be there because he's got Gomez and yeah. Delph back. Um, and and that may well be be the straw that brings the camel's back really in terms of does, does, he, does he persist with that or is he willing to change? I think most Evertonians thinking about that game now and, and rocking up on Saturday... We just want to see something different. Um, And as much as a positive result with that particular formation would all keep us happy for a couple of days, I think there would be a worry that we are failing to learn lessons of recent weeks. Um, So I think change is is inevitable and and definitely required. Yeah, sorry sorry, with with what Mark said there. Um, I mean... It's it's already a must-win fixture for this. You know, we're not even halfway through October yet. Well, the manager himself said that's <laughs> yeah, barely yeah. didn't he? Yeah. And then you look at our next run of fixtures coming up after this. We've got Tottenham away, Southampton. So Tottenham home, Southampton away. Norwich at home. They're potentially winnable games for the team. So there's a chance by the end of you know, of November we could have t- turned things around a bit. But going back to what you said, Mark, I think Gomez has to be in the midfield. We need a more creative midfield. I think you know, playing Snyderlin and uh, Delph as our defensive midfielders against Sheffield United at home, I think that just mystified the fans and says, not going for the game. West Ham are traditionally famous last words, are a team we've got a good record, Goodison Park against. So I think we have to go for a, you know, a more attacking formation. We have to go at them from the start. And, you know, you know Get a few early, get a few early goals, get the fans back behind the team, and hopefully, fingers crossed, we might just come out of this one. Yeah, how's it going to go, um, Joe? I, I'm just thinking, but talking about team selection, there's going to be a lot of nervous blues at like half eleven on Saturday morning, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Frantically scrolling around the internet looking for the team. Um, I, I can't see us doing anything more than labouring through games at the moment. Um, I, I don't see an Everton team capable of keeping clean sheets and I find it hard to see us really being expansive going forward, so I'd have to say one all. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that massively. I don't think West Ham have lost a game away in the Premier League this season, have they? So they come to good on, on quite yeah. a good run of away form. Um Okay, let's be optimistic. Let's say we're going to sneak it 1-0. Oh, fingers crossed there. Hope, hopefully so anyway. Um, I mean, we will talk about Marcus Silver and, and where he is at after the game at the weekend, obviously in the week following that. But uh, fingers crossed the Blues can get the job done on Saturday as well. Thanks very much to Mark and to Paul. That's been your Thanks, weekly Mark. show uh, here on The Blue Room on Radio City Talk. We'll be back again same time next week. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com apply. That's Amazon.com apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.